Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace. As we move from gathering to listening, our scripture reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism, baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, we are thrilled that Donna Barber is here with us this morning. For many of you, uh, you know Donna. She is a longtime friend of Antioch. Uh, She lives in Portland now, native to Philadelphia. But uh, Donna has worked tirelessly to advance the causes of justice, both in the church and outside the church, particularly in the areas of education reform. Uh, Currently, she serves as the executive director of the Voices Project, which is a ministry we support here at Antioch. But it works to uh, help uh, minority voices minority folks develop their voices and step into leadership roles. So let's give Donna a warm Antioch welcome. Good morning, Antioch. It is good to be with you again. We praise God for his grace. Thank you, Lord. Um, For all of you that made your way here today, who the things that you pushed through, the things you went around and under and over, um, the things you decided to let go, um, the way you chose to trust the voice of God that was leading you here this morning. I wanna thank you for that um, and thank God for his faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we do bless and thank you and glorify your name today. Thank you, God, that you were here before we got here. Thank you, Lord, for the angels that are ministering. Thank you, God, for each soul that is in the building and those that are desirous of being here but for whatever reasons cannot. Lord, we pray that you meet us today. Lord God, that you place in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, your intentions. Give us your understanding of your word, Lord God. Give us 
personal and corporate application in the name of Jesus. And for this, Lord, we say thank you and give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, we are looking at the words from the gospel according to Brother Mark. And in the first chapters of that book, Mark outlines a series of events about the ministry of Jesus. And as you walk through that book, he tells us about Jesus calling the disciples and casting out of demons. He talks about various healings and parables, about wine and wineskins, about sowers and soils. He talks about lamps and mustard seeds. There are miracles. There are feeding of thousands. There is even Jesus walking on water. There is the mountaintop transfiguration. And through all of this now, the disciples are walking with him. They are moving with him from town to town, from place to place. They are observers, they are participants as they move through Capernaum and Galilee and the country of the Gadarenes and the coast of Decapolis and into the parts of Dalmanutha. They are listening to his message. They are seeing the miraculous in their presence. And after all of that, we get to chapter 9, and the disciples are whispering among themselves in animated conversation. And Jesus asks a question, as Jesus likes to do, of course, that he already knows the answer to. So, what is it you're talking about, boys? What is that you were disputing about among yourselves? And Jesus is met with silence. The way our kids are sometimes. What, is, what are you all doing? <laughs> right? This is how the disciples respond to Jesus. Because they have been talking about who among them should be the greatest. So Jesus, in his patience, in his grace, and his love, calls them together and says, you know, if you desire to be first, then you'll need to be last. You'll need to be servant of all. Okay, we got that, fellas? He has that little talk with them, right? So they go on, and they keep traveling, and Jesus keeps teaching. They continue walking, and Jesus blesses some children. He talks to them and others about the challenges of wealth. He talks about the rewards of faithfulness, and he foretells his impending death and resurrection. And after all of that, after all of these miraculous conversations, these deep, meaningful teachings. James and John, bless them, <laughs> come to Jesus with a request. 
teacher, we want you to do something for us. And Jesus asks, again, knowing, what is it you want me to do for you? What is it you want me to do for you? Do you ever hear the Lord asking you that question? Sometimes in the middle of the praying and the asking and the crying and all of the things, what is it you want me to do for you? James and John's response is, allow us to sit on your right and your left hand in your kingdom. We want to be your right hand and your left hand man. We want to be your number twos. We can help run this thing, Jesus. Now for days, they have been watching. They have been listening. They have been following. And this is where they land. Because they've been seeing power. They've been seeing popularity. They have interpreted things as fame. They have been watching the crowds grow. They've also, it seems, been sizing up the other disciples, looking at them and looking at themselves, and they have concluded that they are the best men for the job. And they've decided to take initiative and step up. And they asked Jesus, make us number two. We got this. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. I think he says that to us sometimes too. Because we don't know. Whenever we come with a request beyond your will be done, we do not know what we are asking. He says, if you abide in me and I in you, you can ask what you will. But even then, we don't know. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. It's not the only prayer, but it's the best. But we tend to come with our laundry list of requests because we think we know. We think we know what we want. We think we know what we need. We think we know how things should go. We think we know right from wrong and good from evil. We think we thought it through. We can handle it. We can manage what it is we are asking for. We got this, God. This, I need you to do some things for me. And Jesus responds, are you able? Are you able to handle this thing you are asking for of me? Are you able to drink? From the cup I drink from, he asked James and John, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Are you able, James and John? <laughs> and James and John 
double down. <laughs> in pride, in arrogance, maybe in ignorance or in innocence. They really think they can. And they say, yes, we can. It would seem when Jesus asked them that question, right, coming back, are you able to do, drink, you're going to drink from the cup, you're going to be baptized with the baptism, that something in them should have said, hmm, you know what, Jesus, we're sorry, you know, just go on back to what you were doing, we're just going to step away. You would think that something would have clued them in like, no, but no, because we think we know. Jesus tells us it's hard, that riches are a hard thing. Wealth is a hard thing for man to manage. He tells us that it's hard for, hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. It's harder than a, a camel going through the eye of a needle. He teaches that straight up. And we respond, try me. I can handle the riches. Give them to me. It won't, it won't be me, God. I got it. I can do this thing. I'm the exception. That's what we think. Lottery dreams. You know, like if I just win, you know what, God? I will be able to handle it. Really. I'm going to give a tithe to the church. I'm going to give some stuff to missions. I'm going to help my family. God, I, you can trust me with the millions. Despite the fact that we know that it has been reported that many times the lives of lottery winners end in tragedy, it has been reported that they are bombarded with the constant barrage of people asking for money, that 70% of lottery winners go bankrupt within a few years, that people commit suicide that their relationships with friends and family members are strained and many couples end up in divorce. That if they are single, they have a harder time finding life partners after they win. There have even been some who have been robbed and killed for their winnings. But still, right now, someone is saying, but I could Right now, somebody in here. I could do it, though. <laughs> Somebody's asking, why hasn't God sent me that spouse I've been praying for? Why hasn't God given me that job that I wanted? Why hasn't he answered the prayer I have been praying? God, in his love and in his grace, says, daughter, do you know what you're asking for? Can you handle all that will come with that thing? But we, like James and John, often say, yes, yes, I can. But we don't know what we don't know. And furthermore, we are asking for those things because sometimes we, like them, have totally missed what God has spent days and weeks and months and years 
trying to teach us. James and John insist, yes, we are able. Put us in charge. Sometimes, sometimes God gives us exactly what we ask for. Jesus responded, you shall indeed drink of that cup that I drink. You shall indeed be baptized with the baptism. You think power, fame, and glory, but there is suffering and death that comes with this thing. We read in Acts 12 too, later that Herod, desiring to increase his popularity with the Jews, kills James with the sword. John suffered the loss of his brother and many of his friends and spent years in forced exile on the island of Patmos. He escaped many near-death experiences on several occasions. He said, you shall drink of this cup and be baptized with this baptism, but the right and the left is not mine to give. Now, the other disciples have overheard this conversation, and they're on the sidelines becoming a little indignant. You know, I, I imagine, especially like Peter, right? <laughs> Talking to Andrew, who do they think they are? If anybody's going to be the leader, it's going to be me, right? And they're having their little thing about it too, because they feel in some kind of way, right? And I imagine Jesus, like, has anyone been listening to me? I've been talking, I've been teaching. Has any one of these jokers been listening? Because <laughs> later he says, have I been so long with you and you still don't know me? John later would write, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Jesus again calls them together. He says, get over here. Well, no, that's what I would say. It's not, <laughs> probably not the way Jesus said it. <laughs> He's nice and gracious. <laughs> so in verse 42, he brings them together again, and they got to have another little talk. And he says, they that rule the Gentiles lord it over them. They tyrannize them. We love power because we have this perception of privilege and control that goes with it. You can even see it in children playing, right? Fighting over who's in charge of the game. They're playing make-believe. I'm going to be the dad. I'm going to be the teacher. I'm going to be the boss. No, you are, you're the students, right? They, they even argue with that. Already, something has told them it's better to be the one in charge. I wonder where they get that from. Um, and then in our workplaces, on the sports field, in our churches, <laughs> in our government. This leadership is not seen as seats of service but of power. 
when the music plays, all of you are going to bow down to me. When I walk by, everybody bows down. Europe, in their poor underclass, who have been trapped in subservient roles, came to a new world. And while talking and writing about democracy and equality, instead, they claimed power and they enslaved millions. And they created a new world underclass made up of women and immigrants and refugees. Because the people who were on the bottom in one, on one continent decided we're going to be on top in this one. And today, still, an underclass of black and brown, of poor and working poor, of the imprisoned and the formerly incarcerated, of the immigrant and the refugee. Because we can only feel good about having more, about being above, if we have someone who has less and who is beneath us. But Jesus says to his disciples, then and now, it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great will be your minister, your servant. Whosoever desires to be first, to be chief, to be top, needs to be servant of everybody. See, we don't like servant. We have a Hollywood picture in our minds of what that means. We have a devil wears Prada. <laughs> and we don't want to be Emily. We don't want to be the doormat, the one that's abused or the, the nothing, the one that is just a means to a cheap prosperity. We don't want to be the servant. We want to be the devil. <laughs> Jesus says, you don't know who I am. The son did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The night before Jesus was betrayed, Jesus attempts to wash Peter's feet. And Peter's like, no. Jesus, you don't know how this king thing works. You're not supposed to be washing feet. And Jesus says, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you got no part with me. Over and over and over again, he is teaching us, training us, telling us what it's like to be part of his kingdom. And that in the kingdom of God, we serve. And the greatest in the kingdom serves all. Why did James and John ask for this? And why were the disciples grumbling about it? Because they were missing it. 
Jesus was right there. The word of God incarnate, the creator of all things, the life and light of the world. He was right there living with them, talking with them. The prophets of old, they desired to see God. Lord, show me your glory. And he said, you can't look at me and live. So God placed himself in a body and came and lived and walked among them. Right there. But they were listening to his message and couldn't hear. They were follow, following literally in his footsteps and had no idea of what he was doing, who he was, or even who they were. They came to Jesus saying, Rabbi, teacher, because they saw him as a man. They thought he was organizing a coup to overthrow the Roman government, and they wanted to secure seats of power in the new administration. And the omniscient Christ looks right through them, Look like he looks through our righteous disguises, through our prayers, and he sees our hearts, and he sees their desire to be served. Their thoughts of next time, we're going to be on top. Because when you've been living in an oppressed state, sometimes you take on the ways of the oppressor. Our desire to be great often leads to injustice. Jesus said, it shall not be named so among you. It is different in my kingdom. We don't lord over each other. We don't exercise authority upon others. We don't have to do that to be important. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good to do justice. Many times, like the disciples, we are trying to negotiate something in the kingdom through earthly means, with natural understanding. And Jesus is saying again and again, my kingdom is not of this world. We are called to transcend our humanity, to live in a divine kingdom, to look beyond earthly power structures. Jesus speaks to their spirit through the spirit and says greatness comes through serving. Life gained comes through life lost. Power doesn't come through pursuit, but through surrender. They've been walking from city to city, day after day. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of heaven. They have been thinking about an earthly kingdom. 
Jesus has been revealing himself as the son of God. They have been engaging with him as rabbi and a would-be earthly king. How are you approaching Jesus? How are you thinking about this kingdom of God? How are you thinking about yourself? About power? About authority? About your place in the world? What it means to be first? What it means to be leader? What it means to be a child of the Most High God? What do our prayers suggest we believe? What do our worries tell us? What do our fears convey? And what are our hopes? James and John came to the word to the Son of God, to the creator of the ends of the earth with a question. And Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? And they responded, we want to be vice president and chief of staff in your administration. <laughs> they didn't recognize who they were talking to. How many times are we approaching God and we don't, we don't know who we're talking to? Things that we're worrying about, talking about, we don't know who we're talking to. Jesus had a conversation with a woman at the well, asked her for a drink of water, and she responds, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink of water? Jesus said, if you knew who it was that was asking, you'd be asking me for water. So many times he was right there and they didn't see him. He is right here. He is showing up for us day after day after day, and we miss him. We are worrying about things that we don't have to worry about. We are children of the most high God. He was found in the likeness of men, but he is not just a man. Jesus would later ask, whom do men say that I am? And then Peter would respond, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He's like, ha, there you go, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father in heaven. When we recognize who he is, we understand we are important not because of titles or positions or possessions, but because we are loved by God. 
You don't have to worry. We don't have to have earthly power to be great. Dr. King said everyone can be great because everyone can serve. We can do random acts of kindness, not to get noticed, but because it's the right thing to do. The kind thing to do, the loving thing to do, the least I can do in light of all that God has done for me. Jesus, he says some of us, we've been hanging out with him for a long time. We've been following him around. We've been listening to his words. And he is asking us, what do you want me to do for you? How we answer has a lot to do with our understanding of who he is and the kingdom. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not the only prayer we can pray, but it's the best. Amen. Amen. Amen.